0: Welcome to the Friday Workplace Briefing. Workplace law changes so quickly. Tune in weekly to find out how the law is changing
1: and what you need to do. Your hosts are Andrew Douglas, Managing Principal, FCW Lawyers, and Karen Liu, Principal Consultant, Found Consulting. Hello, Karen. How are you?
0: you leery (laughs) eyed Oh,
1: so am I. I know. Yeah, no, I've Christmas time, eh?
0: Yeah, isn't it exciting? You know, like I've got this weekend, I know the kids are going to get excited about planning, you know, was it the tree set up next week and, you know, party set up and just a family getting together, you know, who's going, who's cooking, all that fun stuff, Andrew.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think I'm ahead of the game. Really? I, I think I've done Christmas. I'm, I'm over Christmas already, yeah. Oh, come on. It's six nights in a row of going out to dinner. I'm feeling tired, Karen. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to be the Grinch. <laughs> okay. Look, we've got some interesting stuff today. Christmas is going to be quite a challenge this year, isn't it? We've really come out of the blocks pretty pretty fast after lockdown, mm. and I think we're all a little really really tired. I, I know I'm really tired. I'm, at the moment. I'm we've been busy, tired, and yeah. you know, as a business, we're growing, so there's these constant growing pains that come with it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, um, I want a break. Mm. I've got nowhere to fly to. All right. So first thing, I'll give you a bit of an update on mandatory vaccinations. The answer is nothing's happening. Mm-hmm. The only case that's really showing any signs of interest at the moment is the BHP case. And there's an argument over the confidentiality of the uh, epidemiologist report. That's not exciting. We'll see more happen the next two or three weeks around that case. So we can sort of move on from that. But what has happened is the um, federal government have pushed out their religious discrimination bill. Very hard to understand why this bill exists at all. Less than 10% of Australians are practising their religious belief in a formal sense. And yet we're developing a bill that has greater rights for people with religious beliefs than women, for instance, who make up 55% of our society. The only reason is that the religious rights sat in the Labor Party and still does sit from DLP days slightly in Labor. And it is peeling that off towards the coalition is something that seems to be the basis behind this. What mm. the bill does is bugger all, to be honest. It conveys a right on religious organisations to choose people of faith to work in their organisation as a right. At the moment, you have to apply and show why that would be a fair thing. Hard to know why you'd stop doing that in a diverse community like ours. In fact, almost impossible to understand why you wouldn't have to show diversity as a benefit rather than a disadvantage. Yeah. So, dumb, don't really understand it, but I think I understand the politics of it. And what's slightly more offensive is the statement of belief issue that came in the Flower case. And can I just say, Flower case was definitely going to lose in every jurisdiction that was ever fought. It was a dumb case. Again, fought for the same political reasons which were backed by political benefactors to do it. They've now got what's called in this the statement of belief defence, which says so long as you have a reasonable belief in what you say and it's said in good faith and you have a complete defence and it can't be utilised against you. That doesn't change what would have happened in Folau's case because he breached policies, procedures and a contract and that doesn't get around the contractual part of it because you are allowed still to protect the nature of the organisation. And also the attack against that is if it's made maliciously or it's done and could hurt, humiliate or intimidate. So that has only raised an idea when Victoria wanted to be very clear and say look, statement of faith where it harms other people is not to occur, and this is a direct attack on really what is the Victorian government's stated position. I
0: don't know. It's just, how do you manage that? It's just so subjective in terms of, you know, in terms of good faith and what, you know, whether or not it's going to offend another person or whether or not you have, you're really committed to that belief. I mean, you and I could be of the same faith but have say things that are quite different and, but I'm right and you're right. I don't know. I think it's a bit messy.
1: But why are we walking away from 30 years of, great discrimination law that has been inclusive and protected all members of our community. You know, brave stuff, like in the Victorian legislation, there's your appearance protection, you know, Mm -hmm. being commented on whether you have calling someone ugly because they've got moles on their face or fat or treating someone differently because their appearance. Victoria quite properly said, look, you can't do that. Yeah. Now, We've done a lot throughout Australia in actually establishing a very good discrimination jurisdiction which has created a very diverse and pluralistic society that goes really well
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and this is the first sort of wedge
0: going going
1: back sort of 30 or 40 years. So it's a nonsense piece of legislation and there's really no good purpose for it, but it's political. That's my rant for the week, by the way, guys, (laughs)
0: because it
1: really shits me when we erode such good policy. Yeah. Interesting case came up around um, workers' comp capacity and bullying, where a this is in Williams, Williamson and Yarrawonga Border Golf Club. Work was clearly contributed to this woman's psychological health. This is not a case of any great merit in the sense. It doesn't create new law. But what I want to remind all employers is when you send someone to be assessed medically, please send them to the best doctor. Don't. I'm not suggesting in this case somebody chose a doctor, but there were three medicals who all agreed that this arose out of the course of employment. This wasn't something somebody had made up. Mm -hmm. And then there was another doctor who argued, look, I read down the nature of the complaints and clearly this is manufactured. So not applying any particular methodology around it. And all that does is mean this woman's never coming back to work. Mm -hmm. So by creating that conflict around a person with a psychological injury, what are we achieving? We're actually damaging her further. And it was inevitable when it got in front of a tribunal, they'd go, what? This woman suffers a cyclone injury. She's fully compensated. That's exactly what occurred.
0: Mm.
1: So I want you as employers to think very carefully. when I mean, we spend a lot of time in our businesses choosing the very best people to care for our staff. And why do we do that? Because we care about our staff. We want the best results for our staff. And we also want the truth back about how we can successfully manage people who are struggling.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Choosing the doctor you want, not such a smart idea.
0: Yeah. So with that, Andrew, in terms of ordinarily or commonly, it would be people in the risk team or a certain department that would look after that. And I think what we are saying here is that the conversation needs to be had, or the direction needs to be had around. Look, it's not about picking because you've got a certain view about you know like these employees are just yeah you know, they're they're rogue, and we just need to find the right doctors who will support us. I'm not saying that that's the case in every scenario, but is that making sure that we come from a place of care. That we come from a place where we've got people who are qualified and accessible to be able to support our people when we need it. Like that's
1: and they feel heard, heard and trusted when yeah. they come along. Yeah. And if they come out against you, then you find so Kim, our Kim, uses a group of doctors to support employers who are not in, not the old fashioned insurance doctors. Yeah. they are just really competent, good people who give clear, candid, and generous advice. Mm-hmm. Why wouldn't you do it? you never take your child to a bad doctor to prove your narrative.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: Why would you take one of your staff members? You know, it, it just, anyway, different issue. Okay, on the work, on oh there's a case of WorkSafe like WA and Salini. This is the second time Salini had been prosecuted. They um, worked and bumped overhead power lines, nearly killed some people, and they got a $150,000 fine. And shortly after, they, um, ignoring their own swims around pressurised hose, allowed one to break away and slap and hit somebody and nearly kill them, do them a lot of damage, and they got $200,000 fine. But I guess what I'm, the interesting part about this case, again, is not the case, but what we've seen since zero harm became a norm, sadly, Mm -hmm. is this this real emphasis on measurable small stuff, you know, the frequently happening things with low risk. Mm -hmm. What we're not seeing, and this constantly comes out in the case law, is the leaders of organisation concentrating on the serious injury fatality risks and focusing on training. In both these cases, no training had occurred, no sign-off had occurred on them on what should have done, and there was no care around what was the highest risk on each occasion, which could mm-hmm. lead to death and fatality. That's not Salini, that doesn't make them different than everyone else. We're mm-hmm. seeing it all the time. And that's why Australia fatalities are starting to rise again, because zero harm and it's and its version of measurement
0: mm-hmm.
1: made safety statistics rather than harm.
0: Yeah. So I think here we've just, no matter what, we've got to focus on where is the risk? You've got to be at this confident all the time, organisationally, knowing that where are the most dangerous places or things or tasks that exist across our workforce that, or our workplace that impact our workforce? So if you can't answer that, with confidence, we have a problem, don't we? And where
1: do you throw your resources? I mean, I mean yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll
0: do, we'll do, we'll do our, I don't know, we'll have our, our meetings and we will identify certain hazards. That's all really important. That's part of a hazard management process. But the critical part, the part, the stuff that is more likely than not to kill somebody, if not seriously injure them, you're not doing something about that. That issue will never go away.
1: Yeah, I'm terrified of tripping every day, Karen. <laughs> Well, you know it's well, a bit up. of gelignite stuck oh. up my nose to blow my head off i'm more worried about that and what we're seeing is statistics came into safety is this complete focus on stats and getting stats down which has stopped reporting and stopped analysis of high level risk and we just got to get back to saying what is the greatest risk in the organization
0: it is't throw thing. the resource and it's I know I've said this before around how high up, where does safety sit on the agenda and particularly at the leadership level, at the executive board level as well. What the questions are being asked? And certainly if they haven't been asked, you know, you need to ask them. And now, stop the looking at
1: trivialised stats, yeah. you know, stop discouraging reporting. Yeah. Anyway, as you guessed, that case had nothing to do with that, but we got into <laughs> no, that we're going to thing. Now a case for the employment lawyers out there, Wharton and RDA, Regional Development Australia. The law, I, can't, I don't even know why this woman ran this case because this would be the dumbest case that's ever been run. This is a woman who developed IP as an employee for the RDA, mm-hmm. said it was her own. Let me be very clear, the common law is if you develop IP for an employer, it's the employers, continued to assert threatened to take it outside and to gain the benefit of it. Didn't actually do that. She actually removed the name of the organisation to show it to external people, saying it was her own. Mm-hmm didn't do it, and then complain when she was terminated. Now, you can't have a more fundamental breach of a contract than trying to steal an organization's IP. But what it does bring into focus is where risk sits. Mm-hmm. So if Karen and I are working here, we develop IP, and Karen works with me, clearly mine. Karen develops an idea externally and seeks to provide it to me mm-hmm. as part of the business. Really troublesome area of what is the IP and where is the moral ownership of that, because the moral ownership never moved from Karen. The problem is... She may have it, but it depends on the contract. If Karen's a contractor, it's hers. So there are two clauses that sit in all contracts, whether it's casual, permanent or contractor contracts, is one, designating the IP, the employers or the host, in this case, the principal, and secondly, creating an assignment of any intellectual property that Karen creates in whatever role where she automatically agrees to assign it back to the organisation.
0: So, where does that practically, Andrew, where does that all get captioned and recorded? How do we establish clarity around that?
1: Okay, so there's two or three different parts to that. It's how do I establish who owns it, mm-hmm. contract of employment policies and procedures that sit behind it? Okay, must yeah. be done.
0: And that, just so we're clear on that, that's just not permanence, that's in terms of contractors, it's
1: casuals, everyone. other, okay. same, same, same course. Secondly, in how we create and document intellectual property, it should always be done mm. and brought into the company, then treated secretly within the company and said to people, this is our intellectual property. It is not to be utilised or disclosed and it should only be given to a select group of people who are working on it. Mm-hmm. Because one of the things that designs both confidential information and intellectual property is the manner and the secrecy in which it's maintained. Mm-hmm. So if we let everyone come and go, a, it's probably not intellectual property and it's probably not confidential information. So you have no protection for it, okay? Yep. So they're the two ways we do it. Okay, so the <laughs> next issue I wanted to talk about today was fractious employees. And the, and the reason is last week we talked about the myth of the great resignation. But what what we're seeing is people emerge from the tiredness of lockdown, mm. from the excessive use of social media and from someone pulling the plug on common sense is this growth of dissatisfied, resentful people who believe they have a right to talk shit, to make up, you know, and to believe it, to be invested in, but to be constantly fighting with their employers over Isn't mythological rubbish that is made really up.
0: entitled just to behave badly. Really. Yeah,
1: yeah, but we've seen it. I mean, we're dealing with it just constantly in our employment group. Karen's dealing with it in her consulting group. And amongst my contemporaries, and there's not many because most of them are dead at my age, but amongst my contemporaries, we're all talking about in our employment group, I'm suddenly dealing with someone who really thinks it's okay to behave badly and are actually deliberately and quite boldly through social media and other methods, engaging people in having unnecessary fights with this all or nothing thinking, this crazy all or nothing thing which backs themselves into a corner. Mm -hmm. So I guess the first thing is I want to identify it's very real. Okay, And it's much larger than it has ever been before since I've practised in law. The second thing I wanted to say is about how we manage that. Karen's going to talk a little bit about identifying good because if you don't identify good, bad just grows. But please remember when you're dealing with people who are really in fight-flight, which causes a reduction in their capacity, their executive function to think, a lack of nuance, not understanding you're trying to help them, and a belief they're fighting for themselves when you're just having a conversation. Can you please be generous, clear, and move immediately? Never let people move too far away from values because they're like a vortex. As soon as you let them go, they become bolder, they engage other people, and suddenly it's not them, it's a lot of them, and also you've condoned a lot of bad behaviour and there's not much you can do about it. But I think, Karen, your description around being treating goods is much more important, so go, go with it. Sure.
0: Okay, the elements that make... And define uh, the good employee. What is the good employees? Now, it's a really simple question, but you think, what is that exactly? So, you actually, if you actually ask the question out loud, you can't actually pinpoint it. You really do have to think about it. So, I've given you guys a hand here. I've split up into two areas, really. So, from an individual level, so in terms of the employee themselves, things you need to consider, performance. Are they, a good employee would consistently be effective in performing and delivering in their role. Contribution. There's someone who would positively contribute to the organization's performance and culture because I could be a performer, but I'm not part of your team. Yeah. yeah, And that's kind of, that's my behaviours, that's my attitudes, my interactions, my relationships and connectedness with the group and the organisation. From a compliance point of view, I understand and you know, the employee would understand and adhere to their employee obligations. So I talk here about legal contractual obligations. You, you talked earlier about good faith, fidelity like all those type of things that, you know, that their responsibilities and obligations that we actually all have as employees. There's also compliance of procedures, policies, actually respecting, understanding and committing and demonstrating that. So that's kind of the part that as an employee you would look at. Organisationally, you've got things like your organisational values. Now, do they naturally identify and are they committed to the organisation's values? Now, firstly, the question for the organisation is, what are your values? And Are they actually values?
1: And are they your lens? Are Mm. they truly your lens? Mm. You know, we've just done a review, Brett's done a review of our business. And one of the things we find is people sort of know what Mm. their values are, but it's entirely intuitive because we've failed daily to embed it in the way we behave.
0: And that's why I say it's a simple question, Right. right? Because, oh, but they're not one of us. Well, what is that? Yeah. do you know what I mean like that's it's a real question more broadly for you to consider. Code of conduct. So here we're talking about the integrity of the of you know, employees' behaviors and attitudes to mirror the organization's expectations. And the code of conduct normally covers a whole lot of things. um there's probably certain standards and policies in there as well. but there are certain points where if you look at this almost as yeah, was well, a wheel here, but a spoke in terms of are we seeing alignment, natural alignment that way. And certainly it's a natural, but it's certainly deliberate in terms of wanting to be close and bridging those gaps. The last part of it, which probably ties to my first point, the position description is a really important document. And the reason why is because it outlines very clearly, or it should outline really clearly, what the role in terms of the responsibilities for the role, the experience, the competencies, the attributes. We spoke about this before, Andrew. Like yeah. And the, and
1: the behavioural attributes.
0: Absolutely. So, that's what if you're looking. Well, what is it that good looks like? Take away the employee for a moment and goes. Well, this is what good looks like for us. Now you, yeah, you, know, you bench that against the person who's in the role or the people in the roles. How much alignment are you seeing? So
1: I think it's yeah. good. I, I just don't know about the three lemons with a cross and one lemon with the tick in it. That's what I do. You see on the wheel, there's a. It's there's not a
0: lemon. It's of lemons. Common. No, they're just little. It's meant to be. I thought about. It. <laughs> it's like, you know, are you complying with complying? I not thought it complying? sounded
1: three people are sour, one person's not. On. was oh, just struggling. You know, it's
0: this interesting how our
1: brains work differently. Mine's not working very well. Okay, more. that's all right. Can we go now on to the, the, the problem, yes, the case study? And let's go. it's over to you,
0: Karen. Yeah, let's see what the goodie is in here today. <laughs> all right. Joe was a lay pastor at some. Pastor,
1: sh- pastor, <laughs> pastor is something you eat.
0: Not pastor, pastor, not pastor.
1: Pastor, pastor.
0: I apologize. Joe was a lay pastor.
1: That wasn't
0: the hard word, was it? No, I knew it. it. At Sunshine Church, a church recognised as a religious establishment under tax law. Joe was also a senior sales manager for Health Our Game Systems, HOGS. HOGS created online health solutions for people working from home. HOGS grew dramatically during lockdown, listed to float on the stock exchange in September 2021. Part of Hogg's promotional material, crafted by Joe, included the line The married mum at home can now live life like her working husband, working out when it suits her, with teams of people doing the same. Networking, engagement, and health, all online when and as you need it. Joe's contract had a clear commitment to diversity in the recitals and the duties included. All common law duties, as well as the duty to respect diversity and to always be respectful of diversity in comments made inside and outside of work. A policy existed around the publication of comments out of work that could harm, hurt or intimidate employees in any way and to uphold the values of Hogs, one of which was the respect of diversity. A gay woman and a single mum separately wrote comments on Hogs' Facebook page, condemning the promotional material as offensive and explaining why. The following day, Joe, in his role as pastor, was giving a sermon to his parish, oh my god, parishioners. (laughs) The <laughs> he noted the comments on the website and said, God does not condone sinners. Marriage is the union between a man and a woman and is a sacred pact. Women must not have children out of wedlock. It is shameful and why would such women seek to celebrate such an ungodly lifestyle? His church, with his permission, published his comments and a video of the comments on Twitter. It went viral with over 1 million viewers or views and hundreds of comments both for and against Hogs' share price tanked when their comments were published to a furious response in leading newspapers and television news services. A woman at Hogs made a formal complaint to HR. She proudly identified as being gay. Joe wrote to each one of the Facebook complainants and the Hogs' complainant and said he was sad of their way of life and was praying for them. He copied in like-minded members of his church who worked for Hogs. Subsequently, the three women received several deeply offensive comments on their personal social media sites from these employees and other members of the church around their social circumstances. As news of this of his sermon spread, they continued to be viciously trolled by others. Man, all right. I do not think it was that hard. No, it's just me, clearly. Anyway. Like all right, things. let's go. Okay, let's
1: hit the poll. Oh, yes. I, we forgot to say, you must come to our end of year event on the 10th of December, yeah,
0: okay.
1: Please, please come, otherwise, Sophie is just going to kill us. <laughs> She's booked a hall. Remember that again. We're going to come back to that,
0: okay? Okay, right.
1: so let's just talk. I, I won't see what the results are straight away. With Joe out of work's comments capable of leading to this reaction. So, the law on out of work comments are these is where they are attributable, identifiable to the work environment, they can be disciplined, or where they arise during any working hours and aren't identified. Now, in this case, they were both identified and were visible during working hours. So, yes, they are out-of-work out of, out of work comments capable of leading disciplinary action, so the answer is yes. Could his employment be terminated? Well, if you look at his contract mm. and the policies, then there is absolutely no doubt at all that his actions taken would offend or hurt people yeah. within the organisation, and they are of the more serious serious side, particularly as we go on to discrimination law, because not only did he breach discrimination rules, Breach policy, breach his contract of employment. He then went one stage further and he victimised the person, the employee, and victimisation is where a person raises a complaint or threatens to raise a complaint. You treat them adversely as a result of them raising that complaint. Mm -hmm. It is the most serious form of discrimination and he unquestionably did it. He may have done it for the best reasons. And the problem with discrimination is when a person discriminates, it doesn't have to be their intent. But here he actually did intend to tell the person they were wrong, that the way they lived was wrong, Mm. okay? Now, whether you agree with him or not, when you do that, that is the very serious end of discrimination law. Just for those people who are wondering what happened if the employee suffered a psychological injury as a result of that, including the, the swamp of other terrible things that happened because of the publication, weren't able to work. The general damages alone, say it was a, person who is about 50, general damages alone would be no less than 75, probably to $120,000. Yeah. The economic loss, unable to work again, could be in the half a million plus if they're a $70,000 employee. if they're more than that, even more. And the medical damages would be, again, very, very high. So you've got a claim, it's a million dollar claim coming out of this. You don't need to be Israel for out with a full million dollar contract for this to be an expensive deal. Mm. The things I really want to concentrate is this is a clear breach of safety law. So look at all the breaches of duties here, breach of duty to another person. Mm-hmm. So in a work role, when he communicated yeah. in his work role to another person, clear breach breach to a third party, okay, individual breach, Section 25, clear breach to the individual providing safety to you as an employee. Is it reckless? Okay, does it get to reckless endangerment? Well, the nature of the trolling and things that recur was to be expected. He was indifferent to that and actually provoked it. This could be, in the end, a go-to-jail thing if the woman died. So I think people keep forgetting, just keep forgetting how serious it is to hurt people in pursuing your own belief system and how important it is for us to respect people and not work from the lens of our own belief system, but to work within the values of our organisation.
0: Really dangerous right now, isn't it, given what's going on? You know what I mean? In terms of forming a view around...
1: Uh, The crazy stuff we're just dealing with. Yeah. And people violently and angrily presenting their views, turning up with gallows to Parliament, threatening Parliamentarians. There's shocking stuff happening at the moment. And what's most disturbing about is the unwillingness of people, a body of people, to stand up and go, we don't accept this. Mm -hmm. This is not a civil society. This is not how we behave. And I guess, you know, I'm talking to a group of people who do this every day, so you probably know my frustration. But it is really important that we behave well to people, Mm -hmm. even if our belief system is different. Would it be a workers' comp claim? Absolutely, okay? Uh, It was work that was causative of it. That's the end of it. The last question is, would the suggested change the religious discrimination legislation protect Joe? And the answer is possibly, okay? Probably not when he he actually put other people in the email. That may have gone a step too far. But I wanted to show you what a shocking piece of legislation this is because you always test something by taking it to its absolute. Mm -hmm. So that's what I've done. I've taken it to its absolute. And here we are taking it to its absolute where three people, lives have been completely changed through no fault of their own other than one choosing to come out and say who they are, but people don't choose to be gay. People don't choose to be single mum. They don't choose these things. Life life chooses these things, and yet they were targeted. So this piece of religious discrimination legislation emboldens people to say things which they know, with a moment's reflection, will hurt someone else. Mm. And we're a pluralist society. We, are, we don't work that way. We respect people and their differences. Yeah. So I guess I want to shine a bit of a light on why this isn't good because at the moment all you hear is the politics of it. Yep. Yeah. And that's really unfortunate. But this is a bad piece of legislation. We've been protecting diversity for the last 20 years and it's worth fighting for. Yeah,
0: that's a good practical example.
1: All right. All right, guys. Lovely to catch up. I'm glad we both made it because we're dog-tired, aren't we? And thanks, so for being the greatest director of all time. See you later, guys. Bye-bye. See you,
0: everyone. Bye.